everybody to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. I am Doug, and over here, finally, for the first time in weeks, it's the glorious bug. What's up, man? Too many things, dude. I did a whole two episodes without you. It was terrible. But also, Jake was on, which made it amazing. So it balanced (laughs) out, and now you're back, and we can get back into the action. I know. If you've been watching the past couple of weeks and you were expecting a, a sweet, sweet Aussie accent uh, on the show, I'm not even going to try and do that. I feel like that'd be insulting to to Jake, but it would be fun for me, though. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, you're stuck with me, so that's <laughs> that's where we're at. Tug is still not here. Uh, yes, he's uh, he's back home doing taking care of some family things, you know. Uh, family will be back on the pod Monday, I believe. So hopefully on track for that anyway in the meantime he's in the northeast and there's supposed to be a lot of snow so we'll see (laughs) definitely definitely Uh, a lot of variables there (laughs) um but we have a fuck ton literal metric fuck ton to talk about today uh because the nfl there's not much happening but in college football there's all kinds of things happening all the time and then the xfl has a whole dang draft this week starting a league from scratch we're gonna get deep into that discussion uh but i guess as per tradition we will start with the nfl <laughs> yeah let's do it and hey you know you forgot about one other league the usfl had some news it's very very near and dear to my heart so we'll spend a little okay. bit of time talking about that as well <laughs> okay <laughs> very clearly not near and dear to my heart i guess i mean you're not wrong. Uh, so you want to take over the NFL news and then... Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I was waiting for Tug. It's been so long. I know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as you can see on the right-hand side of our photo here, this is the amazing beers that were being sold at the NFL in Germany game. And I think this is outside of that German stadium as well. I mean, the interest for the NFL in Europe is massive. Um, and we've talked about the ELF a few times on this podcast, and we've reminisced about NFL Europe a few times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany being a success shouldn't have surprised anybody if you've paid any attention to the past five, six years. Or, you know, even looking back to NFL Europe, they had the best teams and were supporting those teams. Uh, and even though Vienna is technically in Austria, correct? Uh Austria, Germany, they're basically the same place. I know there's probably Austrians and Germans that would argue that for various different reasons. Um, But football, American football, is a very popular sport in that part of the the world, in those two countries in particular. So the NFL is wanting to expand more in Europe. They're eyeing Spain and France as possible next hosts for NFL games in Europe. After that, they're looking up into the Nordic land, up in Sweden. I mean, this is this is insane. It seems like expansion across the pond is almost it, like it's going to happen. It's just how far in the future is it going to be before it happens? I wonder if we can hold that off with games like this instead of yeah. having eight regular season games there. With I, a single team, just have eight regular season games in Europe with a variety of teams. And, and uh, I think that's maybe, maybe that's a more sustainable solution. 
I absolutely think that fans would get behind a hometown team there. I mean, that's that's been a huge argument. Yeah. You know, the USFL in particular comes to mind, but in the States, you know, hometown fans want their hometown team. But there's something special about seeing just how excited these countries get for an NFL game. And they don't care if their team's playing. They don't care if it's a completely separate team. I mean, just in these pictures, I see a Falcons uh, jersey. I see a couple uh, Buccaneers jerseys, Packers jerseys, Baltimore jerseys, Seattle jerseys, Cowboys hats. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just every, and that's yeah. that's been the case. I see a Panthers jersey there as well, an old Cam Newton, very nice. That's just been the case with all these, and there's something special about that. That I feel like the NFL would lose out on and not realize that they missed uh, if they put a legitimate franchise out there. Not to mention, there's a ton of cities in America that I think would benefit more from an NFL team than anywhere in Europe. Well, right, and you still have the issue of all of the talent right now, aside from like four people a year, maybe, all mm-hmm. still in the United States. And so you're just going to have a really tough time convincing an entire coaching staff, an entire front office, and roster of American people to, hey, you live in Germany now, and we can cut you at any time. So good luck with that. Exactly. Exactly. It's There's... No other league has ever attempted to do anything like this, and I think there's a reason. Uh, that's why I really just hope Roger Goodell gets out sooner than later because I, I, I don't know what the benefits would outweigh the negatives here. Moving on, though, we've had a few signings here. And, you know, the Cowboys kind of trolled people. Maybe, you know, other fans <laughs> trolled people uh, with the Cowboys. It was not Odell Beckham Jr. that signed with the Cowboys. It was Antonio Callaway, the other uh, Browns receiver featured in this photo here. Uh, absolute wonderful troll job there. And then Dominican Sue signing with the Eagles. I Like, yeah, why? On, you know, also, why just, not, I guess. But why? <laughs> So they've they've now picked up Dominican Sue and Linval Joseph, and Jordan Davis is about to come back from his injury, which was keeping him out. That fantastic rookie they just got out of Georgia. The interior of this defensive line is about to be the best in the league by a lot, which you know is a good problem to have. I would say. <laughs> I think the Eagles are really trying to uh, buy on this season, trying to win now. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't blame them. They're eight and one. Absolutely. There's other news in the NFL, but it's all injury related, and there's enough depressing stuff to talk about in football right now. We don't really need to dive into that. I don't think so. I say there we just is get one in- good news that I saw like right before we got on. Apparently. Uh, former Meadowlands. I don't even remember the current name of the stadium. It doesn't matter to Met me. Life. It's always the Meadowlands. <laughs> uh, they are going to switch to natural grass this coming off season. After all Beautiful. the outcry from current NFL players saying, yo, natural grass is way better. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if, New Jersey, because it's not actually in New York. So if New Jersey can, you know, make the commitment to get natural grass, 
the only team in the entire league that I could see maybe not making that commitment is the Bills. And that's because they're supposed to get like six feet of snow this weekend. So, you know. Even, Even then, then, I guess though, the argument is it is safer to play on dirt than on concrete. So the grass being there <laughs> helps, but it's more about the surface underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a big complaint with, you know, OG AstroTurf. That was just a rug on top of a slab of concrete. Right. Like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, I, and granted, this is not it's not like this is so much better. I mean, they have a, I think it's when you get down to, it's about two or three inches worth of rubber pellets underneath them. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there's probably half an inch that's malleable. That'll move. And you know, that's when you see the pellets flying up the rest of it's basically packed down and it's a rubber mat. Which is, uh, it's better than concrete, I guess. Barely. theory <laughs> barely better than concrete so let's move on to our nfl pickums records here uh we got tug out in the lead a pretty pretty handy lead here uh he went three and two last week you also went three and two last week and are only a game behind me catching up uh, brother. yeah so we got some work to catch up to tug but you are definitely buying for second place here let's see my plan to take you over this is a. Uh... My scheme of the week. <laughs> so here's how our uh, our picks from the primetime matchups shaked out last yeah. week. Tug being the contrarian oh, and going with Washington paid off for him. He only and, did that because he can't stand the thought of any other going undefeated and just would pick against the Eagles as long as they were undefeated. You know that's the case. He didn't explicitly that. know that's the case. Nobody expected the commanders to win this game well that's why his immediate text after they won was a champagne bottle so right whatever <laughs> enough of that <laughs> we'll move on to the primetime games this week if you're watching us live that means titans and packers are going on right now on amazon prime uh it was announced earlier that there's also an option to watch with a lebron james cast which i think is amazon trying to replicate the manning cast except they forgot that LeBron James plays basketball. Um, so that's yeah. an option for you if you want it. I saw the list of guests, which does include Rob Lowe, and I assume he will be rooting for Roger Goodell in this matchup. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, man? Who knows? Also, Prime it's a time great game, and we boycott those, and therefore we're not making picks. Also that. Down with Thursday. We are making picks on the Sunday night and Monday night games. First up, Chiefs at Chargers on Sunday night on NBC. We're all going with the Chiefs. And I we talked about this a little bit, about Justin Herbert in particular. Mm -hmm. It really just comes down to the fact that he has not had the help on offense this year. His weapons have been hurt pretty much all year. His offensive line has been hurt pretty much all year. Right. There's a lot of deficiencies on this defense right now as well. It's... It's the Chiefs game to lose, frankly. Yeah, it comes down to the same thing it always comes down to for the Chargers, which is half their team is hurt every single season. At this point, I don't understand how or why, but it's a fact of life. If you are a Chargers fan, you will experience all of your team getting injured. 
don't draft them in fantasy because they will be hurt all the time. All of them. <laughs> and we have a uh, we have an interesting one. This game's taking place in Mexico City on Monday night, ESPN as always. It's the 49ers versus the Cardinals. Um, all you really need to know is that Warzone dropped this week, and that's why we all went with the 49ers. Yeah, basically. I also I don't know the status of Kyler Murray in the first place. And Colt McCoy won, which wow, how did that happen? But do I really trust Colt McCoy at this point in his career to win me two games in a row? Definitely not. Especially against a team I believe to be as good as the 49ers. I believe the 49ers to be. Um, their record isn't that great right now, five and four, but I expect them to be contending for a Super Bowl. And if they want to do that, they need to win this kind of a game against a decidedly inferior talent wise opponent. And I don't I don't know how much of this is just for the drama of hard knocks. But if you've watched any second of it or just heard about what's been going on, there is a lot of turmoil in that Cardinals locker room. It's not right. a good look for them right now. This team is struggling, and I, they're frankly about to start spiraling. And who knows what the future is going to hold for multiple men in that locker room all the way up to the head coach. So we'll see what happens here. I saw the memes that, you know, Benjamin got cut simply because HBO demanded it. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have our picks for games of the week. Uh, so I had Eagles Colts initially, and then I switched it to Browns Bills because I saw three feet of snow. Fuck yes. And then the NFL said, no, no fun allowed. What happened there? That was weird. Uh, no fun allowed. We're going to switch over to the uh the lions we're gonna we're or not the line but they're gonna play in detroit wow. weird technical thing happening there sorry all good uh we're gonna switch over to detroit so i was like fuck that if this game's not gonna be in two three feet of snow i don't care anymore so i picked an equally disgusting game the eagles you know a lot of a lot of people are saying they're the worst eight and one team as if the vikings don't exist as well <laughs> uh and then you got the colts on the other side of the ball who just Saturday wins his debut, and all of a sudden the Fritz Pollard Alliance is looking into this. It's it's a whole thing. I don't I don't want to get into that, all those details. But it's intriguing, right? You know, you've got a coach that maybe shouldn't be in the league, wouldn't be in the league if this was an off-season hire. I don't think by any chance does he end up coaching in the NFL if that's the case. But he's coaching the Colts right now, and he has a 1-0 record. And he's going yep. up against an Eagles team that just suffered their first loss to a divisional rival. I mean, look, Philly's going to be hungry for this one. So I'm going with the Eagles. I can't speak for Tug, but I imagine that's probably why he's head leaning that direction as well. Why are you going with Colts? Chaos. Also, all right. <laughs> here's my real thinking with this one. The Eagles very well may be overly emotional come of their first loss eight and one is uh feels much much different than nine and oh um and we saw some things last week against the commanders that there's a reason they picked up some defensive tackles uh 
I don't know if all those guys are going to be ready to go and fully prepared for this game. Um, there aren't like five good pieces on the offensive line for the Colts. I would say there are probably two and a half. Even still, one of those is the greatest guard in NFL history so far in his career. Uh, and I would take him over a Linval Joseph who doesn't know the playbook yet. Or even a, what, 36-year-old Indomitian Sioux or whatever he is right now. I mean, that's probably relatively close to accurate. So I'm going to say that Jeff Sunday, as I'm going to call him now, uh, pulls off a wild one. And, you know, I think it's actually achievable. It would be wild. I'm not discounting that necessarily. But uh, it. I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's that crazy. I mean, the spread's only seven points. Las Vegas doesn't think it's that crazy. <laughs> Sue turns 36 in January. I fucking hate you sometimes. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh my god! All right, your game, your game. Yeah. So Jets Patriots. Uh, right now, every team in the AFC East is eligible for the playoffs. They're currently in those slots, just like um, we thought it would happen. Definitely, definitely, perfectly predicted that outcome uh, earlier in the off season. Uh, one of those teams is on a bye, and the other team you were originally going to take. So I'm going to take the two that are playing, playing each other, uh, Jets Patriots. Here's something to keep in mind. The Jets aren't good. <laughs> Neither are the Patriots. Both have a winning record. Mm-hmm. Here's what I believe to be happening. Bill Belichick is obviously very good. I think Robert Sala is a lot better than people thought based off of last season alone. This Jets defense is showing that. This Patriots defense is showing that. This might get to be a really nasty game, which is something that we haven't been able to say for an AFC East game in some time. It's usually the high-scoring action of Tom Brady versus uh, nobody or <laughs> maybe this year the Dolphins versus Bills you get kind of some high-flying action. This is going to be a really gritty game. It's going to feel like an AFC North matchup in the AFC East, and that's interesting to me. I love it, man. I'm simply going with the Jets because I don't like Bill Belichick. It would be better for the Patriots to win. It would make the Bears look that much better to have embarrassed them in Foxborough on Monday night. Don't care. (laughs) <laughs> and last but with, not least tug I'm somehow well, I'm going with the patriots i didn't even say that at first oh um, yeah and i don't have a whole lot of great reasoning behind that i just sometimes i feel like in some of these games you take the home team when when you don't know what you're doing so i took the patriots uh tug probably took the patriots because he thinks the jets are pretty bad at multiple positions which he's probably right they about. are but <laughs> but i think this is going to be actually pretty dang close uh yeah i'm just surprised that he would take bill belichick's team there well they're both divisional 
rivals. I mean, true, but still, the domination they've had. Anyway, true. His game is Cowboys Vikings, and uh, I couldn't tell you why. This is kind of a mid mid bowl. Uh, Dallas six and three Cowboys are a one point favorite against the eight and one Vikings. If that tells you anything about how they're eight and one, uh, I mean, look, this is Dalvin Cook. And Justin Jefferson will definitely be the reasons that this is a close game. Kirk Cousins does just enough to be able to get them the ball to make the Vikings winners more often than not. The Cowboys, on the other hand, have been really clicking on all cylinders on offense. They've suffered some bad losses, I know, but this team is, they're electric. You're going with the Vikings. Tug and I are going with the Cowboys. What's leading, excuse me, what's making you lean towards the Vikings here? I didn't have any faith in the Vikings until I saw them play the Bills. And that game, very, very impressive. Um, I agree. I Because they won that game, I'm picking them here. If they would have lost that, especially in overtime, I'm definitely taking the Cowboys. Just because coming off an emotional loss like that is brutal for anybody, even professionals, right? Coming off of an overtime win like that, you now have confidence baked into being a very productive football team. And whether you think they're good at every position or not, they're doing things at a high enough level to get these. Wins. I don't believe Dallas is all the way there, especially at key positions across the front seven uh, at the very back end of the defense. I don't trust a lot of things. So I'm going to take the Vikings offense over the Cowboys defense. I, I would bet that the uh, the other side of the ball is relatively even. But I'm going to take the Vikings offense to win them this game. That's fair. So that's it for our matchups this week. But we do do a little fantasy pick them here as we've talked about before on the show and tug took the receivers this time he's sitting george pickens saying he had a solid week last week but that was on the back of a rushing touchdown not gonna happen this week sit him on the flip side amon ross st brown look why would you have sat this guy all year frankly you know <laughs> he should he should be a starter in your offense on your team every single week he's saying he's burnt Amon Ross St. Brown has burned him before, but he's expecting a solid game against the Giants. Yeah, I don't right, know why. He's, he was riding Tug's bench for the whole season, and then he started him one game, and it was his worst game of the season. And so now Tug thinks that Amon Ross St. Brown is a bad player. And he's, like, taking a risk here. This is <laughs> The this Lions' pretty... offense is actually pretty high level. The defense is so bad that they keep losing games regardless of that. I'm going to Ross St. Brown ought to be a start for everybody all the time. Yes, I agree with you. I agree. Uh, also want to highlight, since you know we picked Commanders players for our sits last week, and they played on Monday night. My bad there. Uh, Curtis Samuel was actually a good call on my part. A little pat on the back here. Uh, he had only two receptions, 40 total yards, four points in standard, and six points in PPR. So that was a good sit. We're doing. I feel like we do better on receiver sits typically than we do on running back sits. I, definitely I, held true again last week. Yeah, it was at least <laughs> true last week. So 
Running back wise, though, uh, we're sitting Brian Robinson again, despite the fact that he was our sit last week. Uh, and he kind of burned you on that, actually. Yeah. Well, he burned Tug. <laughs> Tug picked him. He's not going to burn well, me. <laughs> he okay. went for eighty. He went for eighty-six yards and one touchdown, fourteen point six points in standard and PPR. Uh, obviously, not getting any receptions there as the same score across both uh, both methods. There, I just I don't have faith in this right now. It, it does seem like there's been a definite shift back to Tony Pollard uh, in the Commanders' offense. I know that was something that was very up in the air. Do you mean Antonio Gibson? Antonio Gibson, I do. I'm thinking about the Cowboys still. <laughs> That's all right. And there was there was a shift back to Tony Pollard too. Whether it's because of there the Zeke injury or not is irrelevant to me. Uh, but yes, there's there's been a shift back to Antonio Gibson. That was very much in the, up in the air to start the season. Even after the injury, everybody thought, "Hey, Brian Robinson is going to get worked in," and he was doing so well in the you know in the preseason and everything that he's just going to slide right in. It hasn't really been the case. And whether that's because he was shot four times in the leg or not, I I couldn't tell you. I imagine that has to have some part in it. Maybe it's just that Antonio Gibson took a little bit longer to get going this year. It, who knows what it is. Still absolutely wild to me. Man got shot and is still playing this year. And Michael then Michael Thomas. Thomas has been out like three years with a toe. Yeah, it's <laughs> something about love of the game, not about the money. I'm starting. I'm starting another Memphis former Memphis running back. Though. I'm starting Daryl Henderson. This is another situation where the Rams had kind of been in this limbo of you know who's going to be our back, and mm-hmm. Cam Akers kind of took himself out of that conversation. You know, we've talked about the drama with Cam Akers and the Rams for a while. Daryl Henderson has absolutely used that opportunity to finally slide in and say, "Hey, it's me. I'm I'm the guy." Injuries have been holding him back until this season. I think this is the first season he hasn't sustained a multi-week injury yet, uh, really since his last season at Memphis. So I'm excited for him, happy for him. I'm starting him this week. You should too. Knowing our luck, I probably have these completely wrong. I always suck at running backs, uh, but I have a good feeling about this week. I mean, I hope – for the pause's sake, that you are correct, because we are currently 500 dead on set starts. That's a it's not a great look. It's not. That's rough. Not the worst. That's rough. <laughs> like I said, though, I got to run real quick. I will be back in a couple minutes, though, so I will let you take it over for uh, for college yeah. for us. Well, the first part of our college news is uh, really quite straightforward, anyway. Of course, I'm talking about the college football playoff rankings. Um, every every Monday, we talk about the AP poll and how it compares to our BDT trench ratings. Every Thursday show, then, we talk about the college football playoff rankings, which come out on Tuesdays, compared to our BDT trench ratings. You will see here the top five now across the board exactly the same. That looks good for me, been my... <laughs> what to do in spreadsheets and formulas uh, but also you know not exactly the most exciting rankings talk to be bringing up uh, i will say same as last episode i think it's fascinating that penn state isn't getting the respect from the committee or the ap poll that i really believe they've earned at this point you know they've only lost to number two and number three Number two was a close loss at home. Number three was a blowout, but it was on the road. They've they've beaten everybody else by quite a bit. 
Uh, I would say the Utah win over USC is helping them in the eyes of the voters more than it is in the eyes of my unforgiving, uh, cold and calculated formulas here. Um, you know, but if I were doing my prone personal top 10, I wouldn't include North Carolina. So which one is right? Take your pick there, I guess. Um, as bug did allude to at the top, we have enough sad to be talking about football to be really bringing up NFL injuries. Uh, of course we have to be referencing what else going on with Virginia. Um, this is this is really tough. I have no connection to University of Virginia or any of these three young men, but this has affected me in a pretty big way, and I, I don't know what else to I don't know what else to call that. Uh, this is this is pretty rough here what happened with uh three young men on virginia's football team being shot and killed in response virginia has canceled their final home game of the season scheduled previously scheduled for this weekend against coastal carolina of course the chanticleers are respectful of that situation and you know it's That's rough. Um, I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time kind of getting through this story. It's, it's hard to talk about. There has been no decision made on next week's rivalry game against Virginia Tech. Probably still going to happen. I would suspect the players are going to want to play that game in honor of their teammates. As you can see on the slide here, a couple of examples of the community really standing behind UVA. Uh, community as in all of college football and all of college sports in general. Um, Juan Thornhill is actually wearing these custom cleats with all the players' names and jersey numbers on them. The MAC, of course, in November we have a Wednesday night matching. Uh, they went ahead and made these ribbons in UVA's and all the players and coaches wore these ribbons uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday night. And then the scoreboard there, Texas Tech displaying UVA's logo. I think we're going to see a lot of that this weekend, and deservedly so. This is, again, I'm having a kind of a hard time getting through this story. But uh, yeah, I I wanted to hop back on because I've wanted to. I want to kind of give my thoughts about this, you know, the, the whole week really, um, you know, we don't, we're not mentioning it, but this is the anniversary of that 1970 Marshall plane crash where of course all the, the entire team was taken out and we'll, we'll highlight Marshall, uh, Monday. Uh, that's not what we're here to do today, but it's, it's crazy to me that time is really just a flat circle because you look back at, Virginia Tech and their tragedy, what, eight years ago, yeah. uh, around the same time, several years ago, 
I think it was about 50 years ago at this point uh, for Marshall, 1970. Um, it's just, it is insane to me. And every time uh, college football community comes together like this, uh, I don't, you know, I didn't hear what you said, but, you know, I'll reiterate it. A decision hasn't been made about Virginia Tech from their final, you know, the rivalry game to finish the season. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that whatever happens will be d- done with the utmost class and respect uh, from the Hokies there. So uh, this Great. is – this shouldn't happen. I say we leave it there. I mean, there's not much that we can do as a as a podcast to help this situation. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the other news around college football right now. I guess uh, terrible, <laughs> convenient jumping off point. Uh, that Texas Tech logo. Let's talk about the Big Twelve news. Oh, that feels like a bad transition. <laughs> okay. Uh, There's no good Wes, transition from that. Let's be honest. True. True. Um, yeah. So West Virginia just fired their athletic director. Kind of crazy to me, actually, because Shane Lyons is one of the most respected athletic directors in the country. Believe it or not, I know West Virginia doesn't sound like a huge athletic powerhouse to most casual fans. But Shane Lyons has done a lot for the Mountaineers program, set them up in a big way to succeed in the future, and has been instrumental in keeping the Big 12 together when just a few years ago everyone assumed the Big 12 was going to fall apart. Shane Lyons has been a massively just instrumental piece to a lot of improvements, kind of as I already said there, but construction projects he's been a part of directly renovations to Milan Pusker that haven't been done in a long time. A new $45 million aquatic center for the university created a new baseball park for the university. I mean, those are huge. That's those are things that will live on with the program for hopefully decades, if not a century, you know, he increased the donor base. He raised the GPA among student athletes that factors into recruiting factors into making sure students get the support that they need. There are definitely things that an athletic director can do to be involved in that. And it's the best APR in school history, which is a measurement the NCAA actually keeps track of. And that's how they measure student athlete eligibility uh, in the classroom. So, but they're not winning football games. Exactly. Exactly. That's uh that's the transition here. The only reason to get rid of him would be that he gave Neil Brown an extension when they're not winning games with him and they're still not winning games with him this season. So they fired their athletic director. Probably means they're about to fire Neil Brown as well. They just want to get a new athletic director in first to make sure that that AD gets his guy. This is the reality of college football now. Everything that you do as an AD is down to who you hire as the head football coach. Kind of brutal, but also that's how you make your money. So <laughs> it is what it is. It's just. Come on. 
Yep. <laughs> but of course, the future of the Big 12 is in good hands, in part, definitely thanks to the work of Shane Lyons. And now also because the University of Houston has a new mascot, which is just incredible. This is one of the greatest things to have happened in uh, Houston history. <laughs> Wow, I love the videos buffering this much. It makes me feel good inside. <laughs> this is Shasta Sal, the new live mascot for the University of Houston. He and his brother Louie were found in Washington State and rescued and brought to the Houston Zoo. Uh, <laughs> that's great. I'm glad they have a live mascot again. Uh, it only been a couple of months too, so I'm glad Houston was on that. <laughs> glad that was such a priority. <laughs> tiger King fucked Memphis out of ever getting another tiger. What a bastard! Uh, <laughs> I don't really have anything to add to that. It's just a uh, cute little cute pup. All right, that really should have been the story we went with right after UVA. Yeah, why not? I thought I thought that's the order it was in. I should have made sure it was. Oh well. <laughs> We're now talking about the Corn Bowl. Yes. Uh, staying in the Big Twelve, technically, uh, Iowa State and Iowa have extended their annual series, the Cyhawk, through 2027. Uh, this probably means that the Big Ten is nine conference games a year because. If they were going to 10, why would you have a power five as a as a non-conference game? Uh, I understand part of this is being driven by uh, state legislature. State government is trying to drive some of this. Good. And yes, I'm also glad of that. This game kind of needs to happen. Need more regional rivalries. It's good for the sport. I don't, but I do know a lot of Iowa fans are upset because Iowa State sucks and they hate they hate having to play a team that's just bad as them. And uh, if they lose, it makes them less likely to be bowl eligible. And if they win, it was a bad win. So there's no redeeming qualities about this game, according to some Iowa fans. Yeah, beating Iowa has no redeeming qualities right now either. What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> Get the fuck over yourselves, dear God. That's what I say, but <laughs> Iowa fans are... An interesting bunch of people. They're a different breed. A lot of corn up there. Really fucking cold. Definitely too. a lot of corn up there. Uh, <laughs> but let's stay in the Big Ten a minute and talk about the UCLA and USC move. Now, USC is a private university. They're allowed to do whatever they feel like when it comes to conference alignment. UCLA, however, is part of the University of California system, and they report to a board <laughs> of regents. Uh, all the chancellors of the University of California. Uh, and they don't like that UCLA is trying to leave Cal. They're saying this is Berkeley. bad for the state. This is bad for athletics in general. This is bad for the future of civilization, apparently, according to these folks. They had a meeting today about this saying that 
shouldn't we California. get the opinions of student athletes before we make this kind of a move? So UCLA did a survey of student athletes, and then the Board of Regents said, well, it wasn't enough athletes that responded to this, and it wasn't the correct athletes that responded to this, and it wasn't so on and so on. They're really so many trying their hardest to stop UCLA from making this move. I don't think it's going to happen. I think UCLA is going to be able to go just because uh, the Board of Regents kind of dug their own grave with this a long time ago when they <laughs> they wanted more autonomy from each other like 20, 30 years ago. So they approved a lot of individual chancellor authorities for each university. And uh, the Board of Regents is a little bit... A little bit of a limp institution anymore, we, thanks to their own rulings. <laughs> First of oh, all, man. I know I'm kind of making this decision on the show. We really got to start just talking in Discord more. Uh, go join the Discord. Link's scrolling at the bottom if you want to try and copy it, or you know, we'll post it. We'll post it in our socials later. Uh, but we had a long discussion about this. University systems are very fucking confusing because every yes. state does it differently and the nomenclature stays the same and means completely different things from state to state. What I know about this is that California, the University of California university system, whatever the fuck it's called, is trying to get the results that they want from these surveys and from all this work that they're trying to do because they don't want UCLA to leave. When at the end of the day, they're never going to get it. They really are running out of legs to stand on. This is disgusting that they're trying to, con they're continuing to go down this yeah. route. Um, why would you ever want to live in California? Like that's, that's really <laughs> where I just end with this. This is, this is honestly just embarrassing for university of California colleges, whatever, you know, you see board of regents like this is, this is brutal. I will say, not knowing whether or not UCLA will be a member of the conference really holds up Pac-12 media negotiations. So I believe that the next meeting they have scheduled on this, December 14, will have to be the final decision from the Board of Regents. Most likely. UCLA yeah, because... allowed to go. It is possible that they are blocked. It is possible they are forced into a scheme where they give Cal some extra money because Cal is not allowed to come with them. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a couple scenarios there. We're a football podcast. We're a football podcast. We're a football podcast. University of California believes in communism. Uh, We're a football podcast. We're a football podcast. All right. Speaking of Cal, uh, they just fired their offensive coordinator and their offensive line coach after a six-game losing streak. And uh, the problem for Cal, head coach Justin Wilcox just signed a huge extension in the offseason. For some reason, he was like 500 there, and the university thought it was a great idea to keep him through 2026, 2027. So, yeah, they fired the offensive coordinator, can't fire the head coach, so this is the next best thing. Bill Musgrave was not leading a very effective offense tell you that much if you're watching live you can see our graph here which is yards to go by down 
right? So everybody's bunched up at 10 yards to go on first down, right? Maybe a little bit of variability due to penalties. Everybody's kind of bunched up at 10 yards to go. Cal is the worst in all of the power five in third down distance. Jesus. A, yeah, that is brutal. That is it's not, not the way you win games. And it's not even close. Like everybody else is pretty bunched up. Even the other places there are spaces mm-hmm. aren't that far away. That's disgusting. Right. right. Yeah. Third down for Cal is uh you know, kind of a kind of a weak point on the team, I would say. <laughs> you need to work on that. Maybe work on I, second down. I think second down is the weak yeah. point. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> cuz I mean they you look at it, they do as good. I think it might actually be a, a skosh better than most other teams on third down. They're just so far true. behind the sticks, man. It's true. That's true. Uh, and you work on that second down offense. Get a good play caller in there. <laughs> wow, hilarious. Now, all the way on the other side of the country, completely different conference, completely different situation. Uh, Charlotte makes the first head coaching hire of the season. This man's name is Biff Pogey. Okay. Not kidding you. His name is Biff Pogey. If you look this guy up, there are some fantastic pictures of him on the internet. <laughs> so he was a high school head coach in Maryland for 20 plus years, couple different schools, has worked with Nick Saban somewhere, I guess, because Nick Saban said, this man's going to be a great college head coach someday. And he's used that quote for <laughs> a long time at this point. He has worked with Nick Saban in quite a while. Uh, most recently, he was an associate head coach, assistant head coach, maybe pulled a Dwight Schrute assistant to the head coach, maybe uh, for the team up north, uh, reporting directly to Jim Harbaugh, who also said he's going to be a great head coach someday. Uh, well, that day, this week. Congratulations to Charlotte's new head coach, Biff Pogey. Uh, first domino to fall, first opening filled. This is certainly some big filling. <laughs> this is a big boy, big dudes coaching. I love it. Love to see it. Uh, I I don't have a lot to add. This is this is an all name. I I really hope this guy is a fantastic football coach because I want his name on billboards everywhere. Like this is this is perfect. We found the next head coach of the all-name team. That's what we discovered here. Absolutely. We are not picking a Charlotte game this week, though, because Charlotte still sucks this season. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, Biff. We have picked a lot of games so far this year. I am still in the lead, but Tug closed that gap last week for sure. Uh, you're pulling up the rear, but you're, you've been getting closer and closer to 500. and. Uh, Within yeah. striking distance, I think. Yeah. We, we still got a, a couple weeks to go. And if we pick all the bowl games, you could definitely still win this thing. That's where I'm coming. That's where I'm coming back. <laughs> I bet something like that will happen. So <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and get into our picks this week. We start off with the FB matchups. Only two this week, and they're both in the Pac-12. USC at UCLA, one of the biggest rival entire sports. It's going to be a quote-unquote sellout crowd at the Rose Bowl. Of course, they do have some sections tarped because UCLA is 
terrible at doing things. Uh, obviously, as we were talking about, they moved to the Big Ten, not going well for them either. Um, at the same time, USC is the favorite here. Two and a half points. Of course they are. They kind of have to be. They're the only hope for the Pac-12 to still make the playoff. They're the better team. But it's UCLA at home in a big rivalry game. And I think they're better up front on both sides of the ball. UCLA is a tough team. And USC is a flashy team, and that does not usually go well for the flashy team. Exactly. And I think Tug is has that frame of mind that USC is the better team. And I did too. But I, I, I always – I say that. I'm going to contradict myself later. I always tend to lean towards the home team uh, in these rivalry matchups. Vegas tends to as well. Uh, they're not in this one. They are later. We'll get there. UCLA, like you said, uh, I have been burned by not picking the more physical team once already mm-hmm. this season, Most like two, last week or two weeks ago, the Wake Forest-North Carolina State game, something I rarely ever do. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going, I'm going back to it. I have to take UCLA. Next up, we have Pac-12 after dark, <laughs> the only other ranked matchup of the week. Uh, number 10, Utah at number 12, Oregon. Of course, Utah being the only team to have beaten USC so far this year. And Oregon now with two losses coming off the rivalry loss to Washington last week. I would expect they come out pretty hot here. And uh, I don't know if Oregon can necessarily keep up in a shootout, especially with Cam Rising being kind of on the mend throughout the season at various points. I'm expecting spend a win here i think it ought to be a pretty great game though yeah i mean both of these teams have kind of been up and down all season oregon obviously has improved miles and miles from week right one. I, there's there's no doubt about that bo Nix has come into the heisman conversation with his play this year when i said last episode if bo Nix came back from his getting hurt that one play came back and led oregon on a game-winning drive i would have personally driven to eugene and handed the man the heisman right there like (laughs) didn't do that so you know (laughs) here we are and i mean an absolute heartbreaker you know we saw shades of that defense just returning to being pathetic like they were to start the year and that I think that was just that's going to be the wake up call that they need. Unfortunately, like we already said, that's they're probably their chances of the playoff are probably completely gone. Yeah, but they'll get the rank upset at least here against Utah, who Tug is taking. Uh, so he very well could start zero and two just from our FBS ranked matchups this weekend. If it goes as both of us have predicted here, UCLA wins and Oregon wins. That is most likely our Pac-12 championship at that point. So that would be – actually, I think the other way works too. If Tug is right on both of these games here, USC and Utah both win, that is most likely our Pac-12 championship game. So a lot at stake here for all four of these teams. Let's go ahead and jump to the FCS-ranked matchups of the weekend. And there are four this week starting off with the de facto CAA championship game as number eight, William and Mary is headed to number 11 Richmond. 
both of these teams currently tied for first in the CAA. That's why I'm calling it the de facto championship game. Heading into the playoffs, this game is extremely important for seeding. I'm going to take William and Mary. I think they're probably the better team right now. I know Richmond has burned me. Uh, they're not perfect. They have lost before. Not when, not when I pick against them, but they have lost before. We'll see what happens here. This should be a fascinating game, unfortunately, on flow football, which means you have to do some real digging to find out how to watch this game. But the winner will certainly be a very high seed in the playoffs. And the loser is going to have to wait for Selection Sunday and hope for the best. Next up would have been a de facto championship game for the Southern, but actually because Mercer last week, Samford locked up the Southern title already, and this number 16 Mercer at number 9 Samford means a little bit less than it would have. (laughs) Uh, Based off of last week, I'm taking Samford for sure. Everybody else's as well, because, well, Mercer did not play at all like I expected them to last week in probably their most, uh, probably their best opponent so far this year. I don't want to say that for sure. I mean, Furman's going to finish second in this conference. Let's put it that way. They are good. Um, Sanford's better than Furman, as proved on the football field. I'm going to say they're much better than Mercer at this point, even though the rankings are pretty close. We talked about this next one a little bit on the show on Monday. Number 12, Montana at number three, Montana state. This is a matchup. So big college game day is there. That's very cool. First time ever in Montana for the ESPN pregame show. This is the brawl of the wild man. This massive game for both teams. However, it has much less big sky implications than probably expected going into the year. Montana with already several losses on the season. Montana State, however, has a chance to at least clinch a share of the Big Sky Conference title if they win this game. Now, Sacramento State is in action against an unranked UC Davis team, at least according to the coaches' poll. They are ranked in the FCS stats perform poll. Uh, but, yeah, Sacramento State, if they win that game and Montana State wins that game, I believe it will be a shared conference title between Sacramento State and Montana State. So, if Montana wins then it very well still could be a shared title if Sacramento State loses. It's all up in the air. The Big Sky is a bundle of great teams this season, probably better than the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Speaking of which, that's our fourth FCS-ranked matchup of the weekend. As number 23, North Dakota, heads up to number North Dakota State. Actually, I think it's heads down. North Dakota is north of North Dakota State. That was a lot of Norths in that sentence. Sorry you had to hear that. Uh, But this is a relatively recent conference game. 
North Dakota wasn't a member of the MVFC until just 2020, but it's been a rivalry for a very long time. North Dakota State, probably the better team this year, but this game will determine who finishes second and who finishes third in that conference. South Dakota State is on a bye because they've already played all of their games, didn't have a bye all year, kind of insane. Uh, but a bye right before you head into the playoffs as the presumptive one seed, that's, that's kind of good luck on uh, the Jackrabbits' part. Uh, so, yeah, this game is for second place in the MVFC, and a rivalry game to boot should be a great one. So I'm taking North Dakota State in that one, and Bugs back so he can tell you who he is on all these games that I just summarized. Yeah, I'm going with home teams because we're getting down the stretch and this is, you know, these are teams that are vying for automatic bids and vying for just right. bids to the playoffs in general. Doing that, getting to do that in your home, oh, good Lord, getting to do that in front of your hometown crowd, it's it's massive, right? So Richmond, Samford, Montana State, the Bobcats there. And then, of course, the Bison. I mean, they're a powerhouse in the uh, in the FCS every single year you really think they're going to put anything up to chance in this last one. You've lost your mind. Uh, It's going to be a good game. North Dakota, they've only been in Missouri Valley for two, three years. So they're, they're coming around and they've come in hot and heavy into this conference. Unfortunately, they're running into a buzzsaw when it matters the most. Yeah, and Tug is picking right with you. The only difference there is me taking William and Mary. I just think they're the better team right now. And William and Mary runs the football much better than Richmond, too, which I think can help them control this game. I know it's at Richmond, and being a de facto TAA championship, like I've said, it is – I mean, Richmond's going to play their minds off. Uh I think the Tribe are the better team, and they've really been surprising. I didn't expect this out of William & Mary this year, but pretty great stuff so far. Absolutely. And our games of the week, to wrap us up here, starting off with your game, uh, potentially one of the last iterations of Bedlam we will ever see. Oh, Oh, it hurts so bad, but... I love this game so, so much. We had a conversation about how, you know, I've, I've been in Oklahoma City over Thanksgiving weekend when this game is taking place. And there, there's just something special about this one. Uh, and you could say it about every rivalry, right? Uh, but as an outsider, there's it's crazy just how much this game means to the people in the area. Norman and Stillwater are not all that far away. And obviously Norman is right outside of Oklahoma City. So it's a big deal. Uh, Oklahoma, the home team, unranked, is the favorite in this game by seven and a half points. They're on a two-game losing streak in this rivalry. However, prior to that, they won seven straight. I didn't do my due diligence and check and see how many Oklahoma State has won in a row ever, like what their longest winning streak is. But 22-ranked Cowboys, they're, they're sliding a bit, right? I mean, this team... This was going to be the Big 12 representative in the playoff at one point this season. Now it's looking like if they're going to have one, it's going to be TCU. Discussion for later. Or earlier. I might have missed that already. (laughs) Uh, 
all that to say, I think Oklahoma State is still going to come out and make a statement that, hey, we're still a very good team. We're still one of the best teams in the country. And we're definitely not losing to Oklahoma in what might be the last time we get to play this game. I'm going with the Pokes. I'm going with the Cowboys as well, simply because I don't have any faith in the Sooners this season. And I actually picked Oklahoma to win the conference in the preseason, if you don't remember that. Um, I'll, I'll fess up. I thought Brent Venables was going to be great. And I expected this defense to be the best. It's been in a very long time. Has not been. I expected this offense to figure some things out, which they definitely have not been able to. Uh, not been very effective on in any phase of the game. So I'm taking Oklahoma State simply because they are the more talented team and the better coach team at this point, which is something that we haven't been able to say all around for the Cowboys in, I don't know, my lifetime, it feels like. so. <laughs> it's been the same guy. I know, I know. So, I yeah, I'm taking OSU here. A tug is doing the same. Um, not, we're not all aligned for the next game here. I'm taking Yale at Harvard. This, this is the original the game. All right, Ohio State's definitely taking that over. If you try to convince me that Yale and Harvard still deserve that title over Ohio State versus team up north, you're insane. Uh, I mean, Ohio State and Michigan has never been delayed by protesters taking the field. So, yes, that is accurate. And this game has before. Uh, but it is the 138th meeting between Yale and Harvard, the Bulldogs and the Crimson. Uh, one of the oldest rivalries in all of college sports, all of sports in general, actually. Uh, actually, this is the third oldest rivalry in college football. Uh, just older than this is Yale-Princeton. And then the oldest being Lafayette-Lehigh. The rivalry. <laughs> so they didn't come up with too many original names back then. The rivalry, the game. Uh, ends the year every, ends the regular season every single year. This game does. Uh, and it's actually kind of being played for some big things here. Because if Yale wins, they win the Ivy League. Which, good for them. They aren't allowed to participate in postseason activities due to Ivy League rules. This is the end of the season. They don't get to go to the playoffs. They win the, the championship right here. If Harvard wins, they pull off the upset. On Yale's turf. Uh, no, no, this is at Harvard. Yeah, but Yale's dominated here. I'm on Yale's turf. <laughs> if Harvard can pull this off. <laughs> All right, it's it's at home for Harvard. If Harvard, uh, <laughs> Yale would not only not win the Ivy League, they would fall to fourth in the Ivy League directly behind third place Harvard, which is the biggest middle finger to your biggest rival you can possibly imagine. That is one <laughs> of the greatest things you could possibly do. <laughs> Not only keep them from winning a championship, but find a way to make yourself come in ahead of them in the standings. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun to be had here. Both these teams are actually pretty 
good this year. Uh, Princeton and Penn are pretty dang good as well uh, in between them. But I'm going to take Yale. I think they clinch this one with uh, another exciting edition of the game. Tug just didn't want to get mean. That's all there is to it. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know what his reasoning could be here. His game, though, Boise State at Wyoming. I think he just wants Wyoming to lose. Um, yes. And Boise is a 14-point favorite. But we've seen how teams do going to Cheyenne to play this one, uh, especially when they're big favorites. Yep. So <laughs> he says, you know, there's Mountain West implications in the Mountain Division, much better than a 14-point spread. Yeah, okay. But build it up however you can. I do agree with him, though, for what it's worth. Uh, and I'm going to go with the home team. I'm going to go with Wyoming. That home field advantage is going to be huge for them. We've seen it already this season, uh, how much of a different team they are at home than on the road. And uh, it's not – I don't think it's boding well for Boise this week. I actually generally agree that it's going to be a pretty decent game. I also say Boise State has been very impressive after that loss to UNLV. They – finally turn some things around thanks to that loss uh i've wyoming wyoming's so weird and so unpredictable anything could happen here i'm gonna take the broncos they should win this game they should win the mountain division they might not (laughs) it's wyoming You know, I had to take I had to take the Bulldogs twice. I had to take the Cowboys twice. It's just kind of been a theme this week. And uh, yeah, All Tug right. hates Wyoming so much. There is no shot he was going to take them. But let's be real; they stand a very good chance of actually winning this game. See, I took the Oklahoma State Cowboys and then gave them two horses: Boise State Broncos and the Indianapolis Colts to play with. <laughs> That's my picks this week. <laughs> beautiful that was one of the most things i've ever said on the show which is a pretty high bar to clear anymore that's amazing (laughs) but that's our games oh my god i took three cowboys (laughs) (laughs) so i took the cowboys i took the other cowboys and i took the other other cowboys who were fighting over the same logo yeah jeez All right, that's enough of the games to watch this weekend. We have nine of them. If you don't have enough college football after that, uh, go check out ESPN Plus because they'll have all sorts of FCS action on demand. That's my recommendation. Uh, (laughs) In the meantime, one of those games you probably should check out uh, is Incarnate Word. They're playing... uh, They're playing for the, the conference title here, but... Honestly, more impressive. They're playing for some real respect, it feels like. Nobody nobody knew what to think of Incarnate Word once their head coach and quarterback both left for Washington State last year. In comes a new staff. In comes a new quarterback. And they're just dominating almost everybody, even including FBS Nevada which I know Nevada's not like a great team or anything. At the same time, current word blew them out of the water. They weren't that good just a couple of years ago, and now they're 
freaking phenomenal. So watch out for Incarnate Word and watch out for this quarterback, Lindsey Scott Jr. His story is kind of incredible. I'm going to walk through it piece by piece here because holy cow, it's amazing that this man is still playing college football and that he's doing it at such a high level. So he was Mr. Louisiana in 2016, his senior season of high school. Won the state championship, still only a three-star quarterback prospect. He doesn't get too many offers. He does get one from in-state Power 5 program, LSU. Of course he's going to go to the in-state Power 5 that finally offered him a scholarship. Red shirts the first season and says, wow, I'm actually going to be listed as like fourth, fifth on this depth chart. That's not what I want out of life. I would like to start somewhere, please. Uh, transfers a little bit late in the process, so he doesn't get too many options. Where does he have to go? East Mississippi Community College. Last chance, you. This man had a GPA like you wouldn't believe, and yet he had to go down to JUCO in order to be able to find a starting job somewhere because he was so late in the process losing that battle in camp for uh probably third string quarterback battle <laughs> so he heads down to community college puts up pretty impressive numbers not gonna lie uh for a juco season 3500 yards 35 touchdowns 11 picks that's pretty great 729 rushing yards as well dual threat guy he can do it all so he transfers again this time he gets back into the power five a little bit of credibility with the lsu offer and the good stats, the JUCO level. Goes back to the SEC, too. Missouri picks him up, 2018. He's riding the scout team. Also, SEC honor roll. This man did not need to go down to JUCO. Are we kidding me? <laughs> he was a great student. And uh, uh, You want to know why he went to East Mississippi, though? Like, you can't tell me. Last chance you season one would have been out in 2016. You can't tell me they didn't play into it because he he went and led that team to a national championship the year after last chance you was gone. That's true. That's true. Uh, I I didn't mention that, by the way. Actually, he won a JUCO national championship that season. So (laughs) pretty cool. Uh, Scout team guy for Mizzou the next season. Brutal. Right back in the same boat he was to LSU. So he transfers again. This time down to the FCS level, he's going to be starting for sure. Heads to Nichols State, staying home in Louisiana. Yeah, has to sit out because the NCAA didn't make the transfer rule change until a couple of years later. So 2019, he's ineligible and has to sit out due to transfer rules. Y'all remember how good the Nichols State offense was in that spring season? This is why. Lindsey Scott Jr. is why the spring FCS season, so technically 2020 year, but in the spring of 2021 when they played like six games, uh, he had 24 touchdowns, seven picks, almost 600 yards on the ground, and 1,700 through the air. His completion percentage, though, was pretty bad, 58.1%. So they gave him the ball a lot, said go do something. Uh, I will say he figured some things out over the course of the summer, came back in the fall, played an entire season, improved that completion percentage by four points, uh, 
over 2,000 passing yards, almost 1,000 rushing yards, 25 total touchdowns, 11 picks. All right. So we know he can play quarterback at this point. He's not that bad at the position that he should be a scout team only guy. But also Nichols State is trash. He can't so do what, it all. What's the only option left on the table? Transfer yet again. <laughs> now, all right. So technically he transferred within the conference. That wasn't supposed to be the case. Incarnate Word was actually going to leave for the West Coast Conference, or the, the WAC, the Western American Conference. Uh, ended up falling through that whole deal. I don't understand what happened. I don't know too many people that can explain it to me, so I'm left in the dark here. UIW stayed <laughs> in the conference they were already in, and uh, okay. So now technically that's a transfer within the conference. Blocked otherwise. At the same time, it now sets him up with Incarnate Word, where he's having the season of his life. This is not the senator that Cam Ward was lighting things up with for the past two years. This is a different staff. It's not the same system that Cam Ward was lighting things up with. This is a different staff. He has thrown 3,400 yards so far. 74% completions, by the way. Wow, what an improvement that is. Uh, not rushing as much, only 277 yards on the ground, improving as a pass first quarterback, which NFL teams are going to like. 51 total touchdowns, only four interceptions. He's figured out how to take care of the ball at the same time. This story is insane. <laughs> There, it makes so much more sense now how this UIW team destroyed SIU to start the season. I, we were all yeah. like, "What in the fuck?" How, we didn't even pick that game. We're we're like jaw right. dropping, and then SIU ended up not being that great anyway. But you, nobody expected UIW to be this good this year. Nobody, and this is. You you look at these numbers. These are video game numbers. This is why right. UIW is a force to be reckoned with right now. He's having better stats this season than he did in his JUCO year. Yeah. At the FCS level. That's like four levels of competition above JUCO. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is wild. Wild. Uh, I, I will say, I highly doubt he gets too much NFL consideration. This is just too... Good one. And if you can watch Incarnate Word this weekend, I do recommend it because he is a very electric <laughs> player. Now, I hope, I really hope we get to see him in some spring leagues, which we're about to get into. Uh, mm -hmm. He would make for a one <laughs> hell of a Houston Roughnecks quarterback. <laughs> uh, there's still a team that only has one quarterback in the XFL. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there in a second. I got to talk about my <laughs> defensive prospect first. Uh, you almost should have gone defense first this time. I'm telling you, man. Oh, we missed that traditional story here, though, uh, with Kenny Logan Jr. Just a great safety for Kansas, and I haven't highlighted a Kansas player yet this season. As great as their season has been, so time I did so, and time I picked a guy on the defensive side for the Jayhawks. Uh, he really came into his own in that COVID shortened year. 
not that many games played, but 58 tackles. One TFL, his only sack of his career came in that game. He's very much so used in pass coverage only, which we saw come to be a really great usage for his talents in 2021. 113 total tackles, seven pass breakups as a pure deep safety. He is breaking up these high-flying, deep-launching offenses that the Big 12 is known for and doing so sometimes by himself on an island back there for Kansas. 2022, his tackle numbers are a little bit down. I'll give you that. Uh, I don't expect safeties to replicate 113 tackle seasons too often, though. I'm okay with this. (laughs) I'm okay coming in hopefully about 90 or so after this week. Um, Yeah, uh, he's... He's definitely going to be drafted. He's put in three solid seasons of film here, and his stats are off the charts. Watch out for him against Texas. Quinn Ewers can be a little bit erratic sometimes and likes to launch it deep sometimes. Maybe Kenny Logan seals the second straight win over the Longhorns in favor of the Jayhawks. Because <laughs> they're a football school. <laughs> Very much so. Oh man, there's there's so many things I could say. You know what's great though, actually, uh, Kansas not only beat Duke in football this year, they also beat Duke in basketball this year. And I hate Kansas much less than I hate Duke, so this is very good. (laughs) I hate Kansas basketball, so, you know, that's (laughs) that's things. Anyway, I could talk about Lindsey Scott fitting into so many different teams. Across the USFL, the XFL, even look the FCF. Oh my God! Tell me that oh, dude wouldn't be fun geez. as hell to watch in the FCF. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> we don't have oh, any man. FCF news. We do have USFL news and some, of course, XFL news. Yeah, obviously. I will. I will say the Memphis Showboats will start in the USFL. They're back. I. Have feelings about this logo. A lot of people have feelings about the colors. I like all of it. I have no no strong dislikes for it. And while Lindsey Scott would be a great quarterback in the USFL, I hope it's not for the showboats because how this all came about. Boy. Yeah. The uh the showboats are replacing the Tampa Bay Bandits. Now, if you're watching live, you've seen the transition here, but uh the announcement has already been made. Showboats are going to be playing at Simmons Liberty Bank, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, the Liberty Bowl. Fuck Simmons Bank. Yeah. Uh, and the Bandits, surprisingly, have said they're just going on temporary hiatus. This is a this was directly from the Bandits' Twitter. Uh, they're taking off season two. So I'm I'm curious how this is all going to work out. Uh, everything about the Bandits team is just shifting over to the Showboats. I'm curious. There was a I, I missed it. I'm pretty I'm pretty pissed off at myself for not remembering to hop on it last night. There's a Discord chat with Brady White, and he's obviously getting tons and tons of questions and coverage about going back to Memphis. I really wish I'd have been in that Discord chat just to see kind of what his his thoughts and feelings on are all on all of this. Because I think it's awesome. I it's going to help get fans in football fans in Memphis involved in the showboats. Because part of the reason I think teams don't succeed in Memphis, 
these pro teams is the last one that was there that had that was there for longer than a year was the showboats in the 80s Mm -hmm. and since then it's been one season not even a full season with the uh with the aas with the express yeah and uh they were both the maniacs were kind of mid and the the express kind of sucked and then they went and got johnny football um they got the hype around they got more people out there than they'd had before that so that was cool this, I think, will be a great move to get fans in the stadium for at least showboats games. Absolutely. Why do, I, why do I say at least showboats games? Because Memphis is going to be a second hub city for the USFL this season. Right now, this means that the South Conference, South Division, I don't remember exactly how the nomenclature here, but it's going to be split between Memphis and Birmingham. Birmingham will play host to uh the birmingham stallions of course memphis will be host to uh memphis the showboats and the houston gamblers and of course that leaves the new orleans breakers in birmingham as well the only thing that i'm upset with here is that this has all been leaked already uh there's a lot of uh a lot more talks going on now that this move has been calculated uh, by the city of Memphis and the in conjunction with the USFL to get upgrades to the Liberty Bowl Stadium there. And, I mean, why wouldn't you think that? All signs are really pointing to this. This is year two. These are moves that the USFL said they were going to make going into mm-hmm. year two, and they're making them. They've yeah. also said there's a third uh, – there will be a third hub city for the entire Northern Division. It looks like Eastern University, Eastern Michigan University, has been contacted about using their stadium as as that hub, which, which is would, right outside Detroit. Basically, exactly, basically exactly. call it the Detroit metropolitan area. Exactly. <laughs> so this would this would be huge for the Detroit Panther for the Michigan Panthers fan base. Uh, I don't know how this is going to play out for the other teams in that in that part of the league, but. It'll at least start getting people's appetite up for USFL football. Again, I am beyond words upset that this was all leaked beforehand. Uh, it did kind of take away from some of the excitement for me. Obviously, I'm excited about the show that's being back. I'm excited about pro football and Memphis being back. I'm excited that a Memphis quarterback, the best Memphis quarterback in school history, is going to be the quarterback for this team. Frankly, he wasn't the starter for the Bandits, but I don't think there's any way they can't have him be the day one starter, even if it is right. just for a couple series. Like this, they have to do it, and maybe we'll see the first trade, uh, you know, in the USFL trading uh, trading the other guy they got. I don't even know who his name, what his name is. He's not important. He doesn't exist in my mind anymore because <laughs> it's all Memphis, all Brady White, all the way. <laughs> it, I, why else would they do it like this, right? I mean that it would be. Beyond head scratching, uh, if they did something different, Todd Haley. I have, to if you listen- I have to say it. The only concern I have with this is how are the showboats going to get away with starting a seventy-eight-year-old at quarterback? I don't know. Ask Todd Haley. <laughs> We're going to move right on to the XFL because I hate you and you ruin all good things. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, we talked earlier about how you know there was a specific XFL team who only has one quarterback. So the XFL draft has been yeah. going on all week. 
And up on screen, if you're watching us live or on YouTube, you see the list of quarterbacks in this league. And we'll, I've got a few highlighted here. Uh, but I want to focus in on the D.C. defenders first. They only took Eric Dungy uh, out of Syracuse. I know he's not one that I've really had uh, highlighted elsewhere. Uh, he was in camp for the Giants, Browns, and Bengals, and he was part of XFL 2.0 with the uh, Dallas, then Dallas Renegades. We talked about this, mm-hmm. that who was who was their quarterback? You know, in the last iteration of the XFL that took the league by storm. Uh, I believe this man is a uh, reigning defending national champion out of Ohio State. <laughs> Cardell Jones would be the man you're referring to. Absolutely, as Cardell Jones. And he and... was not on the list of quarterbacks available to be selected. So it's possible that he doesn't play it's also possible that he was waiting to get confirmation he can come back and play for dc because <laughs> uh everybody seemed to love him there and i certainly did too yeah and if you if you're looking through this one school or one team with one quarterback i we're definitely jumped to conclusions here yeah, it's but after, probably not going to happen, but it would be awesome if it happened, and I really hope it does happen. So It'd be awesome, and they shouldn't have left the door open for this kind of... Uh, True. This kind of, this kind of uh, wandering here. Uh, going so, through the... Before you go through a couple other names that you had highlighted, I want to say I think the best quarterback room here overall is the Houston Roughnecks. Caleb Ellaby and Brandon Silvers both are definitely capable of starting in this league. Caleb Ellaby was a guy I really thought might get taken in the NFL draft last year. And just some concerns about his height, not as much of a thrower as he, he likes. Uh, dude, I think I think Caleb Ellaby is going to work very well in the XFL. And Brandon Silvers has a heck of some experience, uh, even in these spring leagues. Yes. And I... He's a fun quarterback. Yeah, he really is. So uh, I'm going to highlight some guys. I'm going to list all the quarterbacks off and then talk a little bit more on others uh, as opposed to talking about every single one of these guys. Arlington Renegades, Drew Plitt out of Ball State. He's listed as the number one likely to be the starter. However, Kyle Slaughter out of Northern Colorado via Southern Miss, he – was he had some NFL time. He was with the Vikings, the Lions, and then the Vikings again. And of course, last spring, uh, he was with the New Orleans Breakers. So he has moved over from that that league to this one. So there is a another there's a quarterback opening in the USFL already uh, before their season even gets underway. Uh, we already talked about DC and that brings me back to the Houston Roughnecks. Yeah, Brandon Silvers, he has a wealth of experience. At Troy, he was a fine quarterback, Nobody, not turning a ton of heads there. But in the waning days of the AAF for the Memphis Express, he took over from Johnny Manziel and got that team winning. I believe they won their last two games with him at quarterback. He then found his way onto the Jets practice squad as a result and again back into the XFL 2.0, this time with the Seattle Dragons. There was a lot of back and forth with the quarterback situation there as well. 
Mm-hmm. And the team looked much better with Silvers. I can't remember if he got hurt or if that season got shut down and ruined, you know, any shot he really had of proving himself there. This Houston Roughnecks defense, however, or offense rather, is going to be run very differently than it was with PJ Walker uh, under center there. So I'm interested to see how this is going to work. This is this is one I'm going to keep an eye on because I do agree with you that this is the best quarterback room by far. For the Las Vegas Vipers, or we're not going in order here. Where did I put the it was Orlando the order Guardians? The XFL website had them, and then their Instagram and Twitter had them in a different order. In so. a different order. Thanks, thanks Love XFL. It. Yeah, off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have the Orlando Guardians. We're going to go on the order that they're on the screen here for, to save everybody confusion. Uh, Quentin Dormandy. Uh, out of Central Michigan via Tennessee, and then he attended camp for the Montreal Alouettes. I, I definitely said that wrong. I don't care. I don't care about French Canada. Uh, he He's listed as the one, but the two is a guy from Hampton via FSU that you probably heard of, DeAndre Francois, who, in my opinion, his biggest offense was not being Jameis Winston. Yeah. He's... Very recently had success in the FCF. If you've been paying attention, we brought him up a lot between the Glacier Boys and the Board Ape Football Club in two seasons there. And then uh, in the Spring League, he played for the Blues. These these teams kind of bounced around similar to the FCF. So it is what it is. San Antonio Brahmas are up next. Jawan Pass out of Louisville and Anthony Russo out of Michigan State. Nothing huge there. Juwan Pass, actually, I think, is a pretty decent quarterback. Like you were saying with Francois, his biggest not being the guy, Lamar Jackson. We'll see. I thought I lost you for a second. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there's Oof. not a ton else. <laughs> what? Probably probably my bad somewhere. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Yeah, there's not a ton no. I was to trying say to say uh, just just like you were saying with Jandre Francois, uh, Jawan Pass's biggest problem is that he wasn't Lamar Jackson before him, and he actually had some pretty decent years at Louisville. Actually, I remember him playing pretty well. So we'll see. We'll see what he can do. Absolutely, uh, not not the most accurate at times, but he's also had a couple of years to work on that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Next up, we got the Seattle Sea Dragons. Uh, ben DiNucci, definitely a name you've heard of. He went to James Madison after starting out at Pitt. And if you watched the NFL last year and saw all the problems Dallas ran into at quarterback, you remember him getting into a couple games there. I believe he started at least one for the Cowboys last season. So definitely mm-hmm. some massive experience here. And then Steven Montez out of Colorado. I don't remember if he started a game for the Washington football team. I know things got very weird for them at quarterback a couple years ago as well. Yeah, he never did, but it was surprisingly close to having Steven Montez start. Right. Uh, He was supposed to be a practice squad guy, had to get promoted, had to get elevated in the depth chart. Yeah, it was that was a rough season for the Washington football team at the time. Absolutely. Next up, we got the St. Louis Battlehawks. A.J. McCarron out of Alabama, that should be a name that everybody recognizes. He did not pan out in the NFL. He was drafted by the Bengals and then bounced around to the Raiders, Texans, Falcons, and finds himself here. Look, this fan base is going to support him. It's going to be awesome for him. 
Do you remember when the Cleveland Browns almost traded a second round pick for the man? And then the owner turned off the fax machine. Literally. True story. The owner vetoed it by making sure they couldn't fax in the trade request to the league office. That's incredible. (laughs) His listed backup, Ryan Willis, out of Virginia Tech, was the Spring League MVP in 2021. So another great quarterback room here. And that leaves us with the Vegas Vipers, who for whatever reason were listed differently in – the XFL's website and their social media release. Yeah. Fun stuff. Uh, Jalen McClennan listed as the starter. However, Luis Perez, much more experience in this very league and much more experience in spring leagues. Another guy that's been around for a while. Texas A&M Commerce via Southwestern in college. He attended camp for the Rams, Eagles, and Lions. And then where I first heard about him was with the Birmingham Iron in the AAF. Mm-hmm. He then went and played for the New York Guardians, in the XFL 2.0, he won that job over from the guy he was sitting behind in the, originally and had completely turned that offense around. Right. And then he was part of the New Jersey Generals in the USFL again, another USFL guy coming over to the XFL. If that doesn't tell you what these guys think the brand recognition is between the two leagues, I don't know what will. It's it's pretty clear to me where where guys would rather play uh, as it is right now. So I know where I would rather play, so I don't blame them. Yeah. And that's going to make things very interesting going forward. Now we only have the first round of each kind of round of draft picks here. They broke it out into offensive skill players. Each team selected almost 50 players. So yeah, we're not going to go through everybody. (laughs) Yeah. And we're, I'll read off what we have on the slides and highlight a couple other guys that fall into these categories, if you will. Uh, And some of them might be guys that are on this slide too. Right. So let's just get right to it. We're starting off with offensive skill players. Uh, The DC defenders took Abraham Smith running back out of Baylor. Battle Hawks took Marcel. By the way, huge. Battle Hawks took. Not huge as in a big guy. Huge as in that's that's a great running back to start us off with. He was, uh, I think, fifth in the FBS in rushing yards last year and just didn't get a shot at the NFL for some reason. Exactly. Uh, Battle Hawks took Marcel Aitman wide receiver out of Oklahoma state. They've had an electric passing offense the past several years. This is a fantastic pick for them. San Antonio. Some, uh, some NFL experience with Aitman too. Uh, not, not a ton, but he definitely had a shot and, uh, some, some good name recognition, at least for, uh, whoever he ended up playing for. (laughs) San Antonio Brahma's selected Jacques Patrick running back out of Florida state. Yeah, a little bit of a spring league experience. You can see the guys we have jerseys for and stuff. That's who the XFL already had rights to their picture. So (laughs) looks like uh, who was was green and yellow? Tampa Bay. Yeah, the The Vipers. Vipers. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Then we had the Orlando Guardians pick in fifth. They took wide receiver Charleston Rambo out of Miami. Who I remember mostly for his name. Because that's awesome. As most people probably do. And then the Vegas Vipers took a wide receiver out of Clemson, which is always a good move in my book. But it's a name you haven't heard in quite a long time because he's old as shit right now. It's Martavis Bryant. Yeah, kind of crazy he's getting another shot here. But I'm glad because he was really good. 
and gives the league some more credibility. Get some NFL veterans who, you know, just got beat out by uh, a little bit of a younger guy, but still have some juice left in the tank and want to prove themselves instead of sitting in free agency. Let's get back on the field. Absolutely. Uh, the sixth pick in this offensive skills portion was the Seattle Sea Dragons taking Kevin Shaw, Liberty out of, or wide receiver out of Liberty. Huge, huge factor in Malik Willis's draftability. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> then we have the newly named Arlington Renegades taking Sal Canella, tight end out of Auburn. I like this one, honestly. This is yeah. I know it seems high for a tight end, but Sal Canella has a lot of great experience, uh, especially with these kind of spring league situations. He's had to get ready in a flash before and can do it again. And uh, a little bit of toughness for the Renegades instead of the outside guys. I understand Absolutely. it. I like it. And then rounding out this first round of offensive skill players, the Houston Roughnecks took running back Adrian Killens. He played college ball at UCF. Had a great career there. Was picked up as a UDFA by the Eagles in 2020. Ended up on the active roster. And I kind of want to see these highlights, though, because his two times touching the ball in the NFL are not fantastic. <laughs> One rush for minus 12 yards. Nice. You know, this he deserves a chance to play at the professional level. He is a talented athlete, a talented running back. I really need to see that play, though. <laughs> I'm sure he gashed the Memphis Tigers for a lot more than negative 12 yards. Uh, I think I think he did. Uh, a few other players <laughs> worth noting, uh, if not for name recognition, for everything else about this dude. Austin Prohl, yes, son of Ricky Prohl of mm-hmm. the greatest show on turf. He's back in the XFL, but this time he's going home. He's going to the St. Louis Battlehawks. This is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I thought it was awesome when he wore his dad's jersey into the stadium as a member of the Seattle Dragons. The fact that he's going to get to play for the hometown crowd. I mean, he's right. his jersey's got to be the first one they make. I don't give a shit about their quarterbacks. He's got to be the first one they make. I love everything about this. He's had a lot of futures reserve contracts in the NFL, most recently with the New York football giants. Yeah. Uh, but he was released from that, and so he's eligible to play here. Look, this this guy, he's he, <laughs> also a good player. Yeah, he might never have the talent to be in the NFL, but he is going to be one of the most fun receivers to watch in this league. I, of that, I have no doubt. Certainly a better. Yeah. Also worth mentioning, <laughs> you, you broke up so bad, dude. I have no clue what you said. I said he's a better receiver than I am. That's all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely true. Me too. Hands of stone right here. (laughs) Uh, Last but not least, uh, worth highlighting here, Andrew Jamil, which if you've watched the FCF, you already know this name. Uh, I'm curious to see how his talents are going to translate to the 100-yard game. Orlando Guardians fans, you're going to get to find it out firsthand because he was electric in the FCF, obviously had talent uh, at the college level to even make it there. Let's see what he can do on a you know with a little bit of extra room out there. Uh, his first time playing 100 yard football in a couple of years at least. 
Next up, we're moving to the defensive backs. I actually didn't have anybody extra to uh, to highlight here. I was expecting to see a couple different names that I didn't, and who knows? There were definitely more than one round where teams took complete passes, where they were still taking position players and not special teams players. So we'll see if maybe these lineups and these rosters fill out a little bit more as the the year goes on, the year turns over when we get closer to kickoff. But We'll go through this list here uh, of these first round, if you will, defensive back selections. I know it says round 12. That's what round it was in the draft. Yep. Orlando Guardians starting us off here. They took C.J. Holmes corner out of Jackson State. Number one overall pick out of the FCS. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I wonder who coached him at Jackson State that made them say, hey, maybe we want some of that. <laughs> Uh, next up, once again, the San Antonio Brahmas take Luke Barco, Barku, another corner out of SDSU San Diego State this time, not the other one. Yeah, I've never have... heard of this guy before in my life. <laughs> it looks it. like he played for somebody. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, that looks like uh, that looks like something you would wear if you're on the Kansas City Chiefs, at least for picture time. I think so. so. That's cool. Uh, next up, a safety out of UNC Charlotte. We have Ben DeLuca going to the St. Louis Battlehawks. DC yeah, Defenders. Charlotte's, Charlotte's been too bad to have too many recognizable defenders, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, Ben DeLuca can change that. The DC Defenders were next. They took Parnell Motley, cornerback out of Oklahoma. This one's interesting because Oklahoma has produced a couple good defensive backs, but the defensive side, especially the secondary, has not been their strength for a few years, and that's not even just picking on the Big 12. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, we got the Houston Roughnecks, Rally Texada, corner out of Baylor. Yeah, Texada is more fun. <laughs> All right. Okay. Fair enough. He's out of Texas. Fair enough. And he's still Baylor. in Texas, yeah. one of the Houston Roughnecks. I know. It's it's perfect. He's Texana. Uh, Arlington's yeah. staying in Texas yet again, the Arlington Renegades. Uh, Devontae Bosby, corner out of Pittsburgh State, Kansas? Yes. I hate the state of Kansas so much right now. <laughs> if they're not as bad about this as Pennsylvania is, and it's fitting that this is Pittsburgh State. <laughs> Seattle Sea Dragons go take a cornerback out of Nebraska. Chris Jones, I don't know if anybody's told them the black shirts haven't been a thing in, you know, since Scott Frost got there. This team has just gone backwards. I also want to make sure they took the right Chris Jones because there are like 47 of those exact dudes. <laughs> they have played given football in a high game. level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the Vegas Vipers take Kalon Kennedy, a cornerback out of JUCO, Garden City Community College, which while they were not the feature school of Last Chance U, definitely featured playing against the Indy squad uh, out of Kansas. And that was a very good fucking football team. They're very well coached. I'm curious why he didn't go to a four-year school, especially with NIL, unless he just thought, I can't get an NIL deal. I can get money in the XFL for sure. Or maybe uh, his GPA wasn't good enough. That's definitely possible. That's definitely possible. And 
affects a lot of guys trying to get out of the JUCO system. I will say there are some guys down the board for the defensive backs that I liked a lot. And I definitely recognized. If you didn't have anybody highlighted, I got to fill in here. Uh, Bubba Bolden, what a name, out of the U. <laughs> Uh, I do remember him and thinking that he was at one point going to be a second, third round pick in the NFL draft. And then his senior season did not go as planned. So hopefully he can rebound a little bit here in the XFL, get some good coaching. Um, I definitely remember Channing Stribling out of the team up North, not for good reasons. I hate him and he deserves to never play football again. That is simply because he played for the wrong team in college, and I am that petty. <laughs> uh, one more guy I did want to give a little bit of a shout-out to, uh, Quintario Cole. First of all, his name's Quintario. Second of all, <laughs> I remember him having some actually very productive games for the University of Louisville. Just so inconsistent. And I think that's going to be a lot of the cases here where you have some extreme talent at the XFL, USFL level. Just some guys that couldn't piece it all together. And the mm -hmm. NFL is looking for complete packages. And if you're not complete at 22, you're no longer valuable to the NFL. So <laughs> get some of these guys in the XFL system. Get them some good coaching, which the XFL does have. And these guys can definitely blossom and absolutely are going to be entertaining to watch. 100%. And again, we spent a lot. I don't think we spent this much time talking about the USFL last year. We didn't know who got drafted by the USFL last year it was until like three a, weeks after the draft happened. Yeah, it was a absolute disaster. Also, there is an SIU defensive back that got taken. Uh, shout out to your Salukis, Roman Tatum. Tatum, yep. I saw that. Yeah. I wanted to bring him up because it was I was like, oh, sweet, an SIU player got taken. But I saw another one taken. We'll talk about him here in a little bit because he's a little bit bigger of a deal, in my opinion. Holy shit, that picture for Nick Coe. I did not look at that well good enough before we started. Look, the Orlando – okay, we're on the front seven here. Yeah. On the defensive side of the ball. The Orlando Guardians went eighth, but we're going to start here because this picture of Nick Coe, if you're an audio listener, go to our YouTube and check this out. Like, this picture of this dude is – it looks like a shitty profile picture that he took with some filter on Snapchat. He's a defensive lineman from Auburn. This yeah. is fantastic. That's all you need to know about this guy. I don't care he if he's great up the middle, too. I, I loved him as a prospect, actually. This picture is wild. Dude looks shirtless and just, <laughs> just is, vibing down there. This is fantastic. Great. Back up at the top, the first round here, though, the Vegas Vipers took Vic Beasley, linebacker, out of Clemson. I know you had yeah. a little bit to say about Vic Beasley. I mean, former number eight overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, that Clemson defensive line was really good when he was there, and he was a, the main reason for that, legitimately. Um, I seem to remember there were some injury issues in Atlanta for him and never got up going with the Falcons and didn't get a second contract. So he's getting a second chance with the XFL instead. Very happy about that. I think he could be a fantastic player still, even in the NFL. Next so up, we definitely have... understand Pagan number one overall, to put it that way. Exactly. Obvious, we got a... obvious number one pick. We got another guy that 
obviously deserved uh, the number two overall for the CLC Dragons. Elijah Ponder, defensive lineman out of Cincinnati, a big run stopper up the middle. Uh, he actually is listed as a linebacker, uh, according to his NFL stats. He didn't actually play. He got some time with the Buccaneers. I'm curious to see if they're going to move him back to defensive line or if maybe this is just a typo here. Uh, either way, this is a great pickup for the Sea Dragons. Probably just a more generic name for his position. Just call him an edge rusher. Uh, playing in 4 3 3 4. He can be linebacker, defensive line, whatever you need him to be. Arlington Renegades went third. They took Otara Alaka, linebacker out of Texas AM. Yeah, this makes sense. Texas AM producing linebackers. That's been the only thing they've been able to do the past couple of years. Nothing and else. And they really started paying year. defensive linemen, and now they're not bowl eligible. So, fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aggies. Uh, DeAndre Johnson, linebacker out of Miami, the U, going to the Houston Roughnecks fourth. Can we start doing U down? Take that, Hurricanes. <laughs> U down. Niles. <laughs> I don't. Okay. The DC defenders with the fifth pick took a defensive lineman from Frostburg State, which is fantastic in, in and of itself. Yes. I love the name Niles Scott. This is yes. this is just all around a, a perfect pick. A chef's kiss almost, if you will. <laughs> that yeah, takes, say that. <laughs> that takes us to the St. Louis Battlehawks picking sixth in this round here. Lakeem Williams, linebacker out of Syracuse. Yeah, fine player. Syracuse, again, another one of these schools that doesn't really produce a ton, but you get some good linebackers out of there every now and then of late. And I think Lakeem Williams is going to be right up that alley. And then the San Antonio Brahmas staying in town, taking a defensive lineman from our incarnate word, UIW, Justin Alexander. I'm sure you have a little bit to say here. Well, I actually know the biggest part of Incarnate Word's success recently has been the offensive side of the ball. <laughs> but, you know, uh, defensive linemen are very important, especially in stopping the run, of course. And Justin Alexander was good enough at that to help Incarnate Word along the way. Actually, the run defense was the best part of that defense. Um, so I don't know the last time Justin Alexander played, I'll be honest with you. So it's possible he wasn't part of the recent teams that i'm thinking of yeah it looks like he's got a little bit of jets apparel on here yeah that's uh, that's why i'm concerned with that assessment <laughs> then we get back to nick co here uh but obviously some other names to highlight down deeper yeah absolutely so i of course keyed in immediately on the st louis battle hawks taking a former midshipman diego fago I swear every single time the XFL pops up, they get at least two or three uh, midshipmen. The USFL got one. Uh, Keenan Reynolds was the guy last time, showing up as a wide receiver as opposed to quarterback like he played in college. Diego Fago is going to be able to play his original position and do it for St. Louis. That's pretty awesome. I'm curious how he's going to do in the grand scheme of things. I imagine he's probably not going to start maybe a little undersized, but he was an absolute tackling machine for Navy. Yeah. I actually love seven straight picks here from the eighth to the ninth round that turnaround. Just 
wow, these names. <laughs> Looking at C.J. Avery, linebacker out of Louisville. LaRon Stokes, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma. Antoine Jackson, the defensive tackle from Ohio State. Nick Temple, linebacker from Cincinnati. Diego Fago in there. Aaron Sterling, South Carolina. And Mike Rose, linebacker from Iowa State. Mike Rose was my favorite defensive player in all of college football like three years ago. This is I I love front seven guys. It's one of my favorite one of one my of favorite, favorite genders for real, for real. <laughs> but the XFL absolutely did one thing right. They put specialists at the very end when everybody was, you know, turning it off, well, finding whatever else they wanted to. Yeah, at the very end, after the offensive lineman. Because they saved the part only part people were going to care about most for last, or at least that we care about most. The offensive linemen, man, this I love everything about this first round of offensive linemen taken. <laughs> oh man. For real though. I mean, we've got Jack Snyder out of San Jose State being taken first hair. by the Houston Roughnecks. The hair is fantastic. And, and it's unfortunate that that's probably about the only positive thing we can say about him. I believe he was on that San Jose State team two years ago that won yep. the Mountain West. So he definitely brings a level of talent there. Oregon and so, like developed talent, which is some sometimes has a hard time recognizing if there's a big difference between natural ability out of the gate and somebody who learns their craft over time and gets to a position where they can perform at a very high level. And that's that's Jack Snyder. He's he's going to be very good for the Roughnecks. And uh, yet again, got a good quarterback room, got a good offensive line. That's recipe for success. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we got Cameron Hunt, the Oregon product for the Arlington Renegades. Again, this Oregon offense has just been fantastic the past few years, and we talk about it all the time where this where you win and lose games is on that offensive line. This so is back fantastic. When, back when Chip Kelly was at Oregon, they were known for getting outside the offensive line. The offensive line is a little bit undersized, a little bit under-talented. And so they get outside and just run as fast as they possibly can, which turns out to be Olympic track speed because Oregon was recruiting those kind of guys to make up for their offensive line not being very good. And then Chip Kelly goes to the NFL, and Oregon turns into an offensive line and defensive line powerhouse. Cameron Hunt is part of that wave of just straight up maulers across both fronts. Yeah, um, I'm excited for this. Next up, we got Seattle Sea Dragons taking an Alabama product. Chris Owens, again, fantastic draft pick. Hey, he's an Alabama guy. He gets too much love as it is. Let's move on. We'll go down a little bit uh, to Birmingham, Alabama. Not you, or not Birmingham, Montgomery, Alabama, and take the Troy product, Antonio Garcia, for the Vegas Vipers. Yeah, Troy. Uh, Troy has been having better and better offenses basically every year, uh, and yeah, I love to see some of their guys getting recognized here. Yeah, they always do. They always quietly make moves to improve the team, uh, and, and they. Potentially, potentially in that Sunbelt championship conversation, uh, need need probably need to win out. But if I think they're good enough to do that. And Antonio Garcia was a foundational guy in 
many senses of the word uh, to getting this team to where they are now, even if he's not playing for them currently. Brandon Murphy, I was going to highlight him solely because he is a Memphis product, uh, but he was taken in the first round by the Orlando Guardians. He actually played defensive line at Memphis. Uh, so this is a bit of a transition for him. However, every look that he's gotten at the NFL level uh, has been on the off- on the offensive line as a tackle. He's also very athletic. He transferred from Indiana State where he also played basketball. So there's there's a lot to like about Brandon Murphy. This is this is going to be an interesting pickup. This I think will probably be the first real action he gets at the tackle position. Mm. Next up, we got Jake or Luke Jurita out of Western Michigan going to the San Antonio Brahmas. How about I mess that one up? Pretty bad. I don't really know him as a player, but I know his name is not pronounced like you just pronounced it. Luke Jurega. That's better. We're getting there. As opposed to Juke Jeremy. Yeah. Or whatever you said initially. I I tried to correct it. I thought I corrected it back to Luke. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Now we've talked about him and massacred his name several times. I'm sorry. Uh, We'll move on to Jared Jones Smith, offensive lineman out of Pittsburgh, going to the St. Louis Battlehawks. I think this is a fine pick. We had the pit offensive line as our offensive line of of college football two years ago, did we not? Or was that defense? Uh, that was defensive line. But even still, going up against those kind of guys in practice every day can't that help but make you. you a little bit better. Exactly. And last but not least, DJ Def- DC Defenders took TJ Stormont, offensive lineman out of Texas Tech. This is why I don't host the entire show. Yeah, uh, it's, it's good. It's a little combination of DC and TJ. Yeah. DJ Stormont now. That's, that's officially his name. District <laughs> of Stormont. That's, <laughs> that's kind of a baller nickname, actually. Texas Tech hadn't had a lot to write home about, but that offensive line, they, they're not giving up a ton of sacks for the, for the Red Raiders. So that's at least one positive for them, right? Yeah, uh, a couple other names that I loved down the board. Uh, Donovan West, huge. T- uh, only real issue with him going to the NFL was some injury concerns. I'm very happy he's getting another shot here again. So that's cool. Uh, headed to the Vegas Vipers there. Uh, and then John Toth, the center from Kentucky, going to the St. Louis Battle, Battle Hawks. He was considered to be a potential first-round pick at one time. And I'm not entirely certain what happened with this one, other than there was an injury in his senior year. But, man, I thought he was still going to get a shot, at least, and really hasn't had that time to develop in the NFL. So I hope he gets that shot with the XFL and really turns into something, because I remember him being pretty dang solid for Kentucky. Absolutely. And I had a couple guys as well. Michael Miller from the Vegas Vipers. He went to Washburn. That's not important. He's currently a high school math teacher and offensive line tight ends coach in Kansas for high school. Yeah. So this is awesome. He was in the XFL 2.0 for St. Louis for the Battle Hawks. So the fact that he is back in the league is fantastic. I, I love being able to highlight guys that are coming back. You know, this is something they believe in and something that was taken from them. They had no control over. 
And then the other SIU product, Xavion Furcron, is going to the Orlando Guardians. What a now, name. yeah. And if you want to know why SIU is struggling a bit this year, it's in large part because this man is no longer in college. Uh, he had diamond in the rough potential, if you want to call that potential, uh, for the NFL draft this past season. Described as the strongest guy on the team from the day he stepped foot on campus in Carbondale back in 2016 as a freshman. And last but not least, and probably most importantly, he won the Stats Perform 2021 FCS Doris Robinson Award. This is for the student athlete who excels both in the classroom and the community. Walter Payton Award-esque, if you want to compare it to something at the NFL level. Yeah. Uh, so it's absolutely fantastic that he's going to get an opportunity here. I would not be entirely surprised if he absolutely dominates for Orlando and gets some serious camp considerations next year. This might I be, would very much enjoy seeing that. This might be exactly what he needs to start getting some of those camp calls. That's going to take us to the special teams, though. And I'm going to let you take it because you were nerding out about this earlier and just absolutely blowing my mind with some of the ridiculous knowledge you had on this. Yeah, I don't know why I know most of these guys. <laughs> There's no reason to know specialists as well as I apparently do because I recognize like almost all these guys. Uh, so this is the first round for the specialists. Taylor Russolino, place kicker out of Millsaps College, small college guys all the time for specialists, though. Not us- not really that unusual. Uh, Russelino has a lot of spring league experience, not much else beyond that because he played for Millsaps College, and I don't think anybody even knows where that is, including NFL scouts. So <laughs> hopefully he can keep uh, nailing his place kicks because he's done a very good job in spring leagues in the past. Next couple picks were punters, Daniel Whalen out of Cal Davis, UC Davis, and then Sterling Hoffrichter out of Syracuse, who I remember being an absolute beast for the Orange. Uh, I was surprised he wasn't drafted as a punter. There's always a couple of punters get drafted in the NFL every year. I thought Sterling Hoffrichter was definitely a name to watch out for there. Uh, But instead, he's one of the St. Louis Battlehawks. So huge pickup for St. Louis. The Vipers get another punter here out of San Jose State, Michael Carrizosa. I also remember there were a couple of good punters out of the Mountain West. Carrizosa was one of them. Uh, San Jose State didn't get much love last year because real big drop-off from that COVID season, Uh, but Carrizosa was a good part of that team. Houston Roughnecks get a place kicker out of UTSA. Hunter Duplessis. Wild name. All right. Uh, Fun to say. (laughs) I'm more interested in the U and Orlando Guardians kicker, Jose Borregales, because I remember him being pretty dang good for the U as well. Why I remember him being good for the U, I have no idea. I haven't watched many games from Miami. Like three Miami games recently. I, I, dude, I guess I was I was in the ACC when I was in college, so <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and then the last two picks of the first round are both long snappers. 
Now, I got to be honest, I don't recognize the San Antonio Brahma's Rex Sonahara out of West Virginia, but I definitely remember Thomas Fletcher out of Alabama going to the Seattle Sea Dragons here. I feel like we talked about him on this show. We definitely have. We definitely have because I was doing some draft highlights and trying to do position rankings, and I included long snip snappers out of pure stubbornness. And of course, I called the two that got drafted. And then I said the next guy up would be Thomas Fletcher, and he didn't get an opportunity, but he's going to the CLC Dragons now. Thomas Fletcher is a beast of a long snapper, going to dominate the league. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to laugh. When he gets when he long snaps a punt, runs down the field, gets a strip sack or gets a strip and takes it to the house. Because when that happens, I'm just gonna throw everything I know about football up and just say I defer everything to Doug. Uh, one other name to watch out for in the play and the specialists though down the board because of course there is uh, the Arlington Renegades get the greatest punter of all time, Marquette King, on the team. <laughs> Got cut by the Raiders simply because he was a difficult personality at the wrong position. But Marquette King is a freaking beast. <laughs> and he's going to be so good. I can't believe he's actually taken this opportunity, uh, given up on his rap career and heading back to football. <laughs> oh, man. I know you and Jake have been talking about the CFL. We're we're gonna transition yeah. straight from straight from that. We're we're running really long, so no real other good transition to do there. Uh, <laughs> while we're waiting for the XFL and the SFL to start, the CFL is finishing up their season with the 109th Grey Cup, uh, which is several more than the NFL has Super Bowls. So just keep that yeah. in mind. Well, also um, they count going back to the time when colleges used to play for what was known as the gray cup yeah so it's thanks canada yeah the stanley cups that way too in canada uh this matchup between toronto argonauts and the winnipeg blue bombers sunday at 6 p.m eastern time it'll likely be on espn2 if anybody wants to check it out this is about the only time of the year uh american media really picks up on the cfl is during the playoffs particularly the semifinals, and then the gray cup as well the game's almost always in the snow. It's at Mosaic Stadium. Uh, not the old school Mosaic Stadium, which I remember for some reason, uh, even though it was 2012 when it was demolished, but the the colorful chairs, they don't have that in the new stadium. The only real drawback to it, it looks beautiful. It looks like a beautiful place to catch a game. Uh, the Argonauts have won 24 division championships, 17 Grey Cups, and most recently won it in 2017. However... The Winnipeg, Winnipeg Blue Bombers are the defending champions. They're seeking their 13th Grey Cup and have 27 division champions championships to their name. Uh, this yeah, is not going only, to... Not only is Winnipeg the defending champions, they are looking for the three-peat here. And uh, pretty wild. The Argonauts and Blue Bombers have met six times before in the Grey Cup, and the Argonauts have won all six of those matchups. So... Some history is about to get broken here. <laughs> What's crazy though, there's not there's nine teams. I think the most this league's ever had is sixteen, maybe. Yeah, they did when some they tried to expand into the US and then didn't yeah. work for obvious reasons. Uh, yeah. Uh but most recently, the last time for as few teams as they have, the last time these two teams faced off in the Grey Cup, nineteen fifty. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see the numbers of divisions and 
you know, great cup championships, 1950 last time these two teams met. So that's insane. One, you know, this one important piece, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. And one important piece, this might be the last three down football game played in the CFL. They're, the mm-hmm. league is going to be looking into going to four down football uh, in the offseason. They're going to have serious talks about it. There's been a lot of talks in recent years that the CFL's days are numbered as it is. This might be the last Grey Cup, as it's been known for several years, uh, in the terms of, hey, we're going to go play three-down football in the snow, and everybody's going to love it, except you know, outside of Canada, nobody loves it. So, um, it, it is kind of depressing that they would, they feel that changing their game drastically is what's going to save their league. But at the same time, if you want to save the history of that league, they've got to do something. It is getting very dire for the CFL. Absolutely. But I will say uh, I am sticking with my coin flip pick last episode of the Toronto Argonauts to win this great. Well, Jake's a, a Winnipeg fan. So I think he said he couldn't go with anybody but Winnipeg, right? Yeah. Uh, well, no, he's a he's a Hamilton Tiger Cats fan, which meant that oh, he's that's right. contractually he obligated to pick against the Argonauts every time. That's what he said. <laughs> I, I can appreciate that. Uh, I want I want to see a three P, and I also want to see history booked. I want to see them finally beat uh, the Argos in the uh, in the championship here. So we'll see what actually happens. But you know who who knows who knows it's it's CFL. It is completely outside of my lane. Hey, remember how I said in the group chat earlier today that Ben Jones was ruled out for this game, the great center for the Tennessee Titans. Ruled out mm-hmm. for this game. Titans are going to lose for sure. Uh, they're up 27-17 in the fourth quarter now on the Packers. Do the Packers just straight up suck this year? Is that? Uh, the Titans gave up a safety. And the Packers are probably are still, still down by 10. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, <laughs> it's you love to see it though. You absolutely love to see it. So I'm not gonna about it. That's for sure. But yeah, we've been going on for over two hours now. So man, I what a great podcast! Else. What it's a great a podcast. sensational podcast. Hey, where did the banana learn to make a? Uh, where did the banana learn to split? Um. Gosh, I cannot think of a good pun right now. My brain is fried. Sunday school. <laughs> good shit. We doing Tug's thing? I've, I've missed this. Uh, I've not missed Tug's thing. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Peace out, Girl Scout. We'll see you all on Monday. <laughs>